you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Last week we focused particularly on the healing of the lame beggar. And we'll focus again on, on Peter's sermon, verses 11 to 26 this afternoon. If you have worked in retail or in food service, then you probably know about the concept of secret shoppers. Uh, secret shoppers are individuals that are hired from within or outside the company to come into different stores or to restaurants and to look like every other customer, and yet they are not. They are there to evaluate and to assess how the store is doing, specifically how the employees are doing at caring for and helping out the customers. Uh, they are secret because if the employees knew who they were, they would probably treat them extremely well, way better than the average customer because they want to make sure that they have a good report go to their to their boss or whoever's above them. Jesus did not come to earth as a secret messiah. Uh, he made it very clear exactly who he was through his deeds, through his words, that he was the, the promised one, and yet people still did not recognize him. They were ignorant about who Jesus truly was, and they treated him with contempt. They rejected him as a lunatic or even worse. But if they had known who he was, if they had recognized him that for who he was and understood the consequences of rejecting him, then they would have welcomed him as their Messiah and as their king. With the secret shopper, there's really no second chance. If you mess that up, um, if you are ignorant about who they are, if you treat them rudely, or you sell them undercooked chicken, uh, the report that goes to the boss is going to be rough, and you could lose your job. But God is a God of grace and mercy. God is a God of second and third and thousandth chances. And so those who were ignorant about who Jesus was and treated him with contempt are offered grace and mercy. Those who had rejected Jesus as Savior and Lord, who had crucified Him, here in Acts 3 are now offered the opportunity to repent, to change their minds about who they thought Jesus was. And like them, all of us who are ignorant of who Jesus is are called by this passage to receive the blessings of recognizing who Jesus is. That's how we'll summarize Peter's sermon. It's a call to receive the blessings of recognizing who Jesus is. They're blessings that are open to anyone and everyone who will recognize who Jesus is, who will not be ignorant about who he has revealed himself to be. Even we who are followers of Christ, who through faith, with eyes of faith, we are are no longer ignorant about who Jesus is. Sometimes we choose to live as if we don't know who Jesus is. And we too are called by Peter's sermon to receive the blessings of recognizing who Jesus truly is and living in light of that fact. To continually know more and more of the glory of Jesus and to walk in His ways. To walk in the light of the glory of Christ. To behold His majesty and be conformed more and more into His image. So this afternoon, I want to call you to receive the blessings of recognizing who Jesus is. But I also want to you to join with me and 
for us all to join with Peter in simply exalting Christ. That's what all these sermons seem to, so far, we've just got two, but there's more coming. But these sermons in the book of Acts serve to exalt who Jesus is. And I started to think if that's all we did in the sermon, if we just exalted the person of Jesus Christ, and if we beheld his glory, that would be a good way to spend a Sunday afternoon. So let's pray that God would do that. As we saw last week, the scene in Acts 3, let me just give you a recap. It begins at the beautiful gate of the temple where Peter and John heal a man who was born lame. He's in his 40s and he had been lame for his entire life. And he is raised up in a moment by Peter and John. And from there, these three, Peter and John and the lame man, move into the temple where they walk in and everyone knows who this lame man is. They had walked by him or they had just walked past him and they'd been doing this for years. And now here he is walking and leaping and praising God. And he's doing all this walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. Here's something I hadn't thought about this week that came that just popped out to me. Consider this. As a lame man, he had never been allowed inside the temple because of the stipulations of the Mosaic law. The closest that he could ever get to the temple was the beautiful gate. He was never allowed past that. But now through faith in the name of Jesus, he's not only been healed of his physical infirmities, but he has been invited into God's presence. He's been called near. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what the gospel is? That by faith in the power of Jesus' name and what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection, he cleanses us from our sins that have kept us separated from God, and He welcomes us into His presence. He heals our spiritual feet and ankles, which have been totally dead from birth. He looks into our eyes, and He offers us His hand, and He lifts us up out of the pit of sin, and He walks with us through the gate into the temple, into His presence. And not only that, but He makes us His temple. His His Spirit comes and, and lives and dwells in us. I think the more that we grasp that, the more we might leap and praise the Lord for what He's done for us. So it would seem that the time of prayer happened after the healing. So the lame beggar is, is healed. They go in. Prayer time happens. And then the scene moves to Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch, which as best I can understand is a row of, of columns that would have had some sort of a, a cedar roof that would have protected people from the elements so they could gather in that area. It's a place where Jesus himself had walked. And now this is where Peter and John moved to. They're followed by the formerly lame man who won't leave their side. And and we're told in Acts that we're, they were also followed by all the people. So unless you had a roast in the oven, or maybe even if you did, you followed Peter and John to see what this whole thing was about and how this had, had happened. And when Peter sees the crowd, he seizes the opportunity to proclaim salvation in the name of Jesus. The sermon is necessary because no one was eternally saved by the miracle. Rather, the miracle attested to the power of Jesus. It revealed Jesus' power and it arrested people's attention so that Peter could preach the gospel. With that in mind, think about another lame man. Very famous. He was brought to Jesus by his friends on the bed and they got to the place and there was no room to get into the house. And so you remember that his friends dug a hole in the roof of some unfortunate soul's house 
and lowered this man down through so that he was in front of Jesus. And when he was stand, he was laying there in front of Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious leaders think to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And you remember that Jesus, knowing their hearts, says in essence, do you doubt my ability to forgive sins? How about I heal this lame man so that you know that I have power not only to heal someone of their physical sickness, but also to, to give them forgiveness of sins, that I have power also over sin and death. And so here, in the same way, the miracle serves to glorify Jesus, to show that Jesus is the one who can perform the miracle, not just of making someone able to walk, but the miracle of forgiveness, the miracle of spiritual resurrection. And so that's what Peter announces. He uses the miracle we saw last week to deflect glory from himself to Jesus. He exalts Jesus as Savior and Lord, and he calls his hearers to repent. So here is Peter's sermon. We'll start in Acts 3, verse 11. While he, that's the lame man, formerly lame man, I should say, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter here calls us to receive the blessings of recognizing who Jesus is. If you look at this, the whole scene is very similar to the events and the sermon preached on the day of Pentecost. And that's because the message of our faith, while it is multifaceted, is also very simple. And the gospel message does not change. People still need to recognize who Jesus is and receive the blessing of who he is through repentance and faith. 
And the life of the Christian is a life of repentance and faith. So while Peter says things a bit differently, the core of his message is really the same. He begins, as on Pentecost, by pointing out the differences between what God said about who Jesus was and what the crowd said about who Jesus was when they crucified him. So if you want to label the first part of this sermon here, I would call it, God said, you said. That's sort of what Peter is going to do. He's going to say, here's what God said about Jesus, and here's what you said about Jesus when you crucified him. So this first idea is God said, you said. So after deflecting the glory, making it clear that they were not responsible for this man's healing, but Jesus was, Peter now exalts Christ. Different ways we could break this down, but I want us to think about three ways that God has glorified Jesus and then three corresponding ways that the crowd dishonored him. So in your mind, you can think about two columns or if you're taking notes, you could even just write two columns. And the first column is going to be titled, is going to be titled, God has glorified Jesus as dot, dot, dot. So here's all the ways that God has glorified Jesus. God has glorified Jesus as. And then in contrast, we'll see, but you dishonored him by. So those are your two columns. God has glorified Jesus as, and we'll see three things, and then corresponding to each of those three things, but you dishonored him by. So the first item on that first column is God has glorified Jesus as his promised and eternal servant. That's what God has glorified Jesus as. He is his promised and eternal servant. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Peter is a Jewish man, and he has not forsaken his Jewish faith. Rather, he recognizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament had spoken. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah, and he and all the Jewish people, that he and all the Jewish people had been looking for. And so he ties Jesus back to the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of all his forefathers. Not a new God, but the one true God. And along with that, he identifies Jesus as God's servant. This is almost certainly a reference to Isaiah 52 and 53. It begins, God, it's, it, God says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And then Isaiah pens the servant song of the Messiah. This prophecy that the coming Christ would be the suffering servant, rejected by his people, bearing our griefs, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. Peter announces that God has glorified Jesus as his promised and eternal servant. And then he says in contrast, but you dishonored him by delivering and denying him. You dishonored him. And how did you do it? By delivering and denying him. Rather than glorify Jesus as God had, they chose to place their Messiah into the hands of Pilate of all people. It's like receiving a diamond necklace as a gift and putting it on your dog as a collar. Or being given a designer shirt and sort of tying a knot in it and using it as a chew toy for your dog. They they rejected the suffering servant sent from the Father and they threw him to Pilate like some scrap of food. Do we value Jesus as we should? Do we recognize the priceless value of who Christ is 
and the gift of having our eyes open to the reality that He is the Messiah. Often we deny Jesus. We allow Him to be delivered into the hands of those who would kill Him. Even Peter had done this not many days prior. But praise God, there's grace for everyone who denies Christ. So they delivered Jesus into Pilate's hand. And even Pilate seemed to understand that Jesus was this innocent lamb being led to the slaughter. We're reminded from that story that that Pilate had decided to release him, partly because of Jesus' own testimony, but also partly because Pilate's wife had this dream. You remember, she comes to, to Pilate and she says, don't have anything to do, remember what she says, with that righteous man. Pilate's wife knew more about who Jesus was than many that day because Pilate's wife agrees with God's assessment of Jesus. Because the next thing that we see that, that Peter points out is that, that God has glorified Jesus as the holy and righteous one. God lifts up Jesus as the holy and righteous one. That's in verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Jesus was the only innocent man that ever lived. And not only was he innocent, but he was filled with righteousness and good deeds. He fulfilled the law perfectly by loving God and flawlessly loving his neighbor. No man in the history of the world ever loved people in his life like Jesus did. No man ever loved anyone as much as Jesus did. There was no sin found in him. There was no room for sin in Jesus because he was so filled with love and righteousness and good works. God has glorified Jesus as the holy and righteous one. However, Peter says to the crowd, but you dishonored him by choosing a murderer instead. That's the flip side. God has glorified Jesus as the holy and the righteous one, but you dishonored him by choosing a murderer instead. Given the chance to have Jesus, to have the innocent and holy Son of God, they returned to have the, the innocent and holy Son of God return to them after they had delivered him over to Pilate. They chose instead to receive Barabbas, a convicted murderer. They said, we don't want the man who raised people from the dead. We want the guy who was convicted of sending people to their graves, of killing people. I'm reminded that sin is suicidal. Sin rejects righteousness and it rejects anyone who would confront us with our own unworthiness, with those that are holy and righteous. Sin would choose instead to have murderers released back into our, into our streets. Can you imagine what they're saying? Here's a murderer. Let him go. The mindset on the flesh rejects Jesus and chooses the most base and despicable things of this world. As Isaiah says, we call good evil and evil good. Why? I think one reason is because Jesus reveals our need and He reveals our weakness and our sin. But if there's a murderer roaming the streets, then I can say, well, I'm not as bad as Him. But if Jesus is on the streets, then I'm, I'm exposed. I see my own sin. Another reason would be because our hearts are naturally bent towards sin and they delight in wickedness. We all feel that tug. The tug to reject Christ and to claim that the wicked around us are not so bad. That we're not so bad. And when we do, we dishonor the holy and the righteous one and we choose a murderer instead. 
Third, God has glorified Jesus as the author of life. God has glorified Jesus as the author of life. What a wonderful title. Peter sort of sets up the final blow in his sermon by exalting Jesus as the author of life. An author creates worlds. An author creates characters and and plots. Jesus is not just the giver of life. He is that. But He's the author of life. He created life. He invented life. In Him we all live and move and have our being. Apart from His breath in our lungs, then we have no life. God has glorified Jesus as the author of life. But those gathered on the day He was crucified used their Jesus-given breath to say, crucify Him. God glorified Jesus as the author of life, but He says, but you dishonored Him by killing Him. You dishonored Him by killing Him. What a chilling statement. You denied, you chose a murderer instead of Him, and then you killed Him yourselves. He would not stop talking about the truth, so they chose to snuff Him out. I was reminded of our Good Friday Lenten Lights reading. It begins this way. This was the darkest day in history. The Son of God Himself was killed by people who weren't satisfied simply to reject Him. They couldn't stand to have Him exist. They thought they could put God out of existence. And so they killed Him. I don't know what that looks like, but the question comes to my mind, do, do we kill Jesus in our sin? Do we, do we try to silence His voice in our lives? So we see that God has glorified Jesus. God has glorified Jesus as His promised and eternal servant, but we dishonor Him by delivering and denying Him. God has glorified Jesus as the holy and righteous one, but we dishonor Him by choosing a murderer instead. God has glorified Jesus as the author of life, but we dishonor Him by killing Him. And then there's actually a fourth way that God glorifies Jesus. God glorifies Jesus by raising Him from the dead. That's what you see in, in verse 15. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. God, God's final statement on the person of Jesus is found in the fact that He raised Him from the dead. Though He was, he was delivered over, He was denied, He was rejected for a murderer, He was killed on a cross, God has raised Him up. And to that fact, Peter says, we are all witnesses. And in raising Jesus, God vindicates him. He announces that everything everyone else thought about Jesus was wrong. He didn't deserve to die. And death could not hold him. So God has raised up, God has exalted Jesus, and it's through faith in Jesus that the lame man, Peter says, was strengthened. And through repentance and faith that everyone can be healed and forgiven and brought near. We see in those first three statements that the crowd responds negatively to these statements about who, about who Jesus is, about what God says about Jesus. But now, in God's grace, there's this opportunity to now agree with God. There is no response of the crowd yet to the statement that God has raised Jesus from the dead. It's sort of a cliffhanger. It says you, Peter says, you dishonored Jesus by denying Him, by delivering Him up, by choosing a murderer over Him by murdering Him yourselves, but now will you receive Him? Because God has resurrected Him. What do you say to that? What do you say to the resurrection of Jesus? Will you receive Him as Messiah and Lord now? 
Repentance is what Peter's going to call them to next. But before we consider that call, which is right at the center of the message, I want us to notice that Peter tells the crowd also that in killing Jesus, they acted in dangerous ignorance. That could be the second large point of this sermon, dangerous ignorance. I found a quote this week from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Something I want to think about more. I'm not totally sure what that means. but It's the reality that ignorance can be dangerous, that what you don't know or understand can actually kill you. Think about a, a child, a toddler, walking around the edge of a pool, totally ignorant to the fact that one false step could be the end. Dangerous ignorance. I thought about a story that my father always told me of him and his brother and his father, my, my grandfather, hiking in the Rocky Mountains. They went from 8,000 feet to 10,000 feet. First time I think that they had ever been at those altitudes. They took this really long hike and they brought no water. And they, about, you know, 10,000 feet, started getting really bad headaches and nauseous. All the signs of altitude sickness, which I guess at that point you're supposed to stop and rest. And they said, well, we better just keep going. And they somehow survived and were fine by the grace of God. But that's dangerous ignorance. And we've all had those moments, moments when something comes really close to being terrible and we say, whoa, that could have been a lot worse than it just was. Dangerous ignorance. I think Peter shows some grace to the crowd in verse 17. He says, now brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. I think he shows them grace because he too had had struggled to understand who Jesus was and what in the world he was doing. Peter had denied Christ. He points out that, that they simply didn't understand who Jesus was which is why they did what they did. They were ignorant regarding the facts of who Jesus is. They were ignorant about the times in which they were living. But they were still responsible for their ignorance. So now Peter helps them to... to, And he helps them and he helps us to see the the facts that we are ignorant to. Peter is going to do biblical theology for us. He is going to open up the Scriptures and show us that Jesus is all over them. He does what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus and probably what Jesus taught them during those 40 days. What were they ignorant of? Four things they were ignorant of. They were ignorant of the fact that the Messiah would suffer. That the Messiah would suffer. Verse 18. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer. That His Christ would suffer. Peter can relate to not understanding this. It was Peter who, when Jesus said he was going to be crucified, stood up and said, no, Lord, not you. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the the things of God because Jesus knew that the Son had to suffer. This is what was prophesied by Isaiah and the prophets. It was necessary for the, the, the Messiah to suffer to accomplish the salvation of God's children. But it was something that was so hard to understand. A suffering Messiah, a Messiah on a cross, made no sense to the crowd. 
that gathered that day. And it doesn't naturally make sense to us either. But it's through suffering and death that Jesus is able to take upon Himself our sins and to offer us salvation. And it's going to become very important to the church as suffering and persecution comes to realize that they serve a Messiah who suffered. So they were ignorant to the fact that the Messiah would suffer. Next, they were ignorant to the fact that Jesus was the prophet Moses foretold. That Jesus was the prophet Moses foretold. This is in verses 22 and verse 23. Peter quotes Deuteronomy 18 where Moses foretells of a prophet like him who will arise. And Peter says that that prophet that Moses was talking about is Jesus. Moses, the great patriarch, was speaking of Jesus and he offers this warning all the way back in Deuteronomy 18 that to reject the coming prophet To not listen to him would mean destruction. You see that in verse 22. It will be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Our ignorance about who Jesus is can kill us. Can kill us for all eternity. We have to reckon with and realize who Jesus is so that we can know God's blessings and not his judgment. Ignorance about the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses wrote can be dangerous. They were ignorant about the fact that the Messiah would suffer, that Jesus was the prophet Moses foretold, and also that these were the days proclaimed by all the prophets. Verse 24, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Something special about these days that God is reigning through Christ in these days. Peter says it was all of the prophets who spoke of Jesus, though he specifically brings out Samuel. And when you think about Samuel, you automatically think about King David. And that's probably what is being brought out here. I think this sermon is probably longer than what we have written here, and I'm sure he expounded on who David was. David is Israel's greatest king, the one to whom every other king and every other leader is is compared. And Jesus is proclaimed as the seed of David. He is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David, that David's house would be established forever. And Jesus, the suffering servant, the prophet who is greater than Moses, is also the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the great and the final David. They were ignorant of this, and they were ignorant that Jesus was the promised seed of Abraham. That's the fourth thing, that Jesus was the promised seed of Abraham. You see that in verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and if you're in your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter goes all the way back to Abraham, the one who God promised he would make a great nation of and bless all people through. In Abraham, all the nations would be blessed and Jesus is exalted as the seed through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. Can you imagine how altering that would be to someone who had grown up thinking about the Messiah within a Jewish context? And now this man is standing there saying things that we have heard before, but that were brand new. Jesus 
had to suffer. Jesus is the prophet that Moses talked about. Jesus is the the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Jesus is Abraham's seed. And slowly the pieces become together, come together. And they see that, I love how he ends here. It's, it's a kindness. Peter says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you, to you, the Jewish people, first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This message about Jesus is going to go to all nations, but given, it's, it's given to the Jewish people first. There, verse 26 tells us, if they will turn from their wickedness, then their rejection of Jesus, their ignorance about who Jesus was, that will be wiped away. We all naturally reject Jesus, willfully because of our sin and also because of our sin-blinded ignorance. We are ignorant that all of human history and the history of the entire universe points to the exaltation of Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the door of faith is open to everyone. It's open to us because we can repent. And that's what Peter proclaims. Repent, he says, turning from wickedness and believing what God has revealed about who Jesus is. We could say that's the last big idea is to repent, turn back. Verses 19 to 21 tell us all of the matchless blessings that will come if we will repent. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come, that He may send the Christ appointed for you. As we think about these blessings, we'll think about three. I want us to picture the lame man walking home that day. First time he's ever walked home. (laughs) I wonder if he knew the way. He'd been carried, but did he know how to walk home? It's like when you're a kid and you first learn how to drive and you've been to all these places, but you were never really paying attention because someone else was driving you and now you got to figure out how to get from one place to another. Was he lost on the way home. But now his his life has been turned right side up and everything is is new. We've never been lame, but you might think about being sick when you lay in bed for days and then you finally wake up one morning and and you feel better. <laughs> what a wonderful feeling. You get out of bed and the sun is shining and you're you're filled with joy, just like like this man was. Maybe not as great as this man was, you know, being sick for three days versus being lame for forty plus years. It's a little different, but you still that that joy, and you have new life. And if you're like me, you get out of bed and the sun's shining, you have new joy in life, and you say, "Man, I need a shower." <laughs> and so you take the longest, hottest shower that you can. And I imagine this man did the exact same thing. They didn't have showers, so whatever the equivalent would be. And you step out and you are, you're clean. And you're, you're refreshed. And you're filled with hope that everything is different. This, this fog I've been living in is, is gone now. Everything is different. We've shaken off our sickness. You've shaken off this, this death that was sort of hanging over you. This lame man, he didn't need to go and lay at the beautiful gate anymore. His whole life is in front of him. He doesn't need to do that anymore. And we don't need to lay in our bed any longer because we're, we're finally better and we can move on with, with life. We are restored. As I think about repentance, which is what Peter calls the crowd to, repentance is humbling and it's filled with elements of remorse and sorrow over our sin and over our ignorance. But it's also a turning 
to the wonderful life that we can find in Jesus. It's like getting out of your bed after you've been sick for days. Because when we repent, we find three things that I think Peter points out. When we repent, we find cleansing. Cleansing. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. It's the picture of ink being washed off of parchment. Ink wouldn't stick into into parchment like it does paper. And so it could be, maybe not parchment, vellum I think is what it, I read. And it could be wiped off. But for us, just think about it. Your sins being written on a whiteboard and then wiped off. And not one of those nasty old whiteboards where you can never really get it clean. But like a brand new one where when you write it just, it's disappeared. It's, you never knew it was there. And when we repent and we believe, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It, it cleansed those who believe that day from the sin of murdering the Son of God. And it can cleanse us from all of our sins. Repentance brings cleansing. Repentance brings refreshment. Verse 20, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshment that comes from the presence of of God Himself. It's, it's this idea of new life. It feels like new breath. It's, it's what it felt like after a long winter when we all opened our windows on Friday because it was finally nice enough to do it and the wind could blow through our houses with this spring breeze. Repentance brings refreshment. It, it opens our eyes. It brings new life. The the lie that we're told when we don't want to repent is that it's going to be miserable. That to repent is is painful. But Peter tells us it's not painful. It brings refreshment. It brings new life and vigor. Repentance brings cleansing, refreshment, and it brings hope. Here's a sentence to unpack. It's not even a complete sentence. It's a part of this phrase. After the times of refreshing, the third thing that Peter says comes with repentance, that that He, that God may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Hope of Jesus' coming. Jesus' first coming, while it was not what anyone expected, will one day result in what all the prophets talked about. It will result in eternal life, eternal peace, eternal rest, and eternal joy. And for those who repent and believe, Christ will one day be sent again from the Father and He will restore everything that has been broken by sin. All of the lameness, all of the brokenness, all of the blight in our world will be made right when Jesus returns. There will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. That's the hope that repentance brings. And when we recognize who Jesus is, we can receive these blessings that He offers. When we recognize that Jesus is the promised and eternal servant of the one true God, that He is the only holy and righteous one to ever live, that He is the author of life itself, that He is the one who would suffer on our behalf, that He is the prophet promised by Moses, that He is the final king in the line of David. 
that he is the promised seed of Abraham, Abraham that will bless all nations. When we see that, and when we repent of our sins, and we repent of our ignorance about who Jesus is, then we'll receive all of the blessings that he offers. We will be cleansed. We will be refreshed. We will be filled with hope. As I thought about that being refreshed and being filled with hope, the a Rich Mullins song came into my mind, and this is very poetic, but maybe it strikes you like it strikes me, so I'll take a shot. But he says, from the place where morning gathers, you can look sometimes forever till you see what time may never know. It was this line, how the Lord takes by its corners this old world and shakes us forward and shakes us free to run wild with the hope, the hope that this thirst will not last long. that it will soon drown in the song not sung in vain. And here's the hope. And I feel thunder in the sky. I'd see the sky about to rain. And I hear the prairies calling out your name. Repentance has brought and it will bring unspeakable blessings into our lives. Faith in Jesus makes us strong and it welcomes us into the presence of our great God for now and for all eternity. And when we see that, when we repent, we receive all the blessings that Jesus offers us. So, thanks and glory be to God alone for this unspeakable gift.